Hello there. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars in a Galaxy, watching all the Star Wars we can get our hands on. I'm Eli. I'm Jacob. And this is episode 101 of Star Wars in a Galaxy. 101, which is crazy that I can say that now. Yeah, so, and in addition to this being 101, this is episode one of season 12 and a half, as we're calling it, of Star Wars in a Galaxy. We do these half seasons whenever we have stuff to watch that's in that that's not long enough to do a full season, but still deserves to be watched and stuff. And we are once again delaying the Bad Batch season two. The Bad Batch season two is has become like the running joke of this show, I guess, now for quite a while. We are doing anything we can not to watch it, even though full disclosure, we both love Bad Batch season two. We went we we went on multiple different shows to discuss how much we love Bad Batch Season 2, which is the funny part, which is that we've we've probably discussed the Bad Batch Season 2 more on other shows than on our actual own show, which is, which is really funny. Um, but anyway, that's not what we're discussing today. What we're discussing today is we're discussing Tales of the Jedi, and we're doing this by the characters whose shorts we're based on because they do this really weird thing. As you know, if you've seen Tales of the Jedi, where... Short one is Ahsoka, shorts two through four are Dooku, and shorts five and six are Ahsoka. So we're going to do Ahsoka shorts today, Life and Death, Practice Makes Perfect, and Resolve. And we're going to do Dooku's Justice Choices and the Sith Lord in our next episode. But Jacob and I are not alone today. We are joined from Force Friends Rewatch Podcast. We are joined by Andy. How are you doing, Andy? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for agreeing to coming on. So given that this is our guest type of episode, one of the first things we'd like to do is ask Andy, how did you get into Star Wars and how did you get into the Star Wars podcasting slash, I know certain people in this space hate this word for good reason, content producing space. (laughs) The C word, content. The C word. (sighs) That's a good question. So how did I get into Star Wars? I was a 90s kid, so I grew up on the VHSs, I re- distinctly remember my dad showing me and my brother a new hope for the first time that like memory is burned into my brain. And then from there, like I was the perfect age for uh, things like shadows of the empire and then Phantom Menace dropping. I was eight when Phantom Menace came out. So like just loves the prequels, grew up watching them I grew up reading the Jude Watson books, Jedi Apprentice, Jedi Quest. Those those books like hit at the right time. I had a like speech impediment growing up. I had a really hard time learning how to talk and learning to read. So growing up on those like young reader books like really motivated me to learn how to read, which was awesome. Very fond memories of all those books. And then like that was just kind of part of who I was like I was Andy, the Star Wars kid. Like, I got action figures every year for my birthday. I remember I got the Geonosis Arena, like, play set. I grew up on the micro machines. When I hit high school, I think it, like, I was still a Star Wars fan, but maybe I wasn't as hardcore. And then when I graduated, my dad said, look, I know you've always wanted to join the 501st. If you want for graduation, I will give you money to like 
buy the stuff you need to make armor and join the 501st, or I will pay for you to go skydiving because I had always wanted to go skydiving. And I was like, no, give me, give me the money. I'm buying my armor kit. So I joined the 501st when I turned 18. Had a ton of really cool experiences there. Much love to the 501st. All through college, I would like, I had my armor in my dorm room and I'd take it out into the common area and like work on it. It took me like four years to finish my armor between classes and stuff. And like everyone in the dorm room on my hall would like make fun of me. And then when I finished it and put it on for the first time, that like all of the laughing stops. Everyone was like, that is the coolest thing ever. So that was, that was neat. After college, still a Star Wars fan, still doing 501st stuff. A few years later, though, I, I came out of the closet. And that was kind of like a life-changing experience is an understatement. I had a really big falling out with my dad and my family. The group of 501st people I was in was pretty homophobic. So I sold my armor and left the 501st. I still think it's a great organization, just the people I was with were pretty <laughs> shitty. So I used the money from selling my armor, though, to get the kit I needed to become a rebel pilot for the Rebel Legion. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm still doing Star Wars costuming and volunteer work just with the Rebel Legion now. But I had this kind of big question of like, can I still love Star Wars in the same way now that I don't have the relationship that I had with like my dad and my brother? Because those were who I like enjoyed Star Wars with the most. And that was like kind of a tough thing to navigate with like every aspect of my life was like, can I still, you know, like celebrate these holidays in the same way when they were so tied to my family? Can I still listen to this sort of music when like that's the first concert I saw with my brother and sister? Like, can I, can I still like be a Christian anymore when that was so tied to my family identity and stuff. So like I kind of had to go area by area of my life and be like, do these aspects still serve me now that I'm disconnected from the people who I like did them with or like that had value with. And like Star Wars was a big question. My dad and I had been planning to go to celebration. Was it 2018 was the Orlando celebration because no, no, 2017, I think. Because oh, I, Orlando, yeah, yeah. It doesn't matter, but we were planning to go to Celebration yeah. Orlando, <laughs> and like I had come out the year before, and my dad and I weren't talking anymore. So it was like, I guess I'm not going now. So that was like a huge bummer. And then when Celebration was Chicago in 2019, it was like, all right, well, I get to go with my fiance now, like. My first celebration was supposed to be my me and my dad. That didn't happen. My first celebration is going to be my fiance, and it's going to be a great time. So, but it was still like bittersweet. Like I was still walking around like convention center, being like, "Man, like my dad was supposed to be here with me, and he's not, and we're not talking." So, like navigating all of that was kind of tough, and it it does give me the perspective of not just like a lifelong Star Wars fan, but a queer Star Wars fan, like my queer identity and journey has been very tied to Star Wars in a, in a unique way, I think from like the average fan, but probably not too unique from like the average queer fan. Cause it's pretty common for, for queer people to have complicated family relationships. And it definitely peppers like how I view 
these stories in these movies in in a in a pretty like direct way. But at Celebration 2019, I hung out with my very good friend who I met from being in the 501st, Ryan. And after the con, like we had such a good time hanging out and like he lives in California now. I was living in Maryland. So it was like we miss each other all the time. Like we don't get to hang out. And I was like, dude, let's do a Star Wars podcast. Like we had a great time at Celebration together. Let's like get on mic and talk about stuff. And just like every other friend I have who has a Star Wars podcast, like it started because we had a great time at Celebration 2019. So yeah, we started Force Friends Rewatch and it's a great time. That's that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, there's a lot there. Word vomited all of that at y'all. No, it's that's the history of being in Star Wars in a nutshell. That is a, a rich history. So. Yeah, it is. And I was just going to say also, like, I'm, I'm thinking about like how, because I, I, they're not all of the stories we've heard are tied to celebration, but I feel like celebration is a unifier more often than it isn't. And mm-hmm. like, there's something, and I don't think I really, because I went to, I went to Anaheim one in 2015, but I didn't really know what I was doing. So I don't really even count it as I went there. But so our, our first real one, both of our first real ones was Anaheim 2 um, last year. There's something special about that energy, about, about that place. There's something like it's, it's I, we were only there for half the convention, but it felt like it, it, it didn't feel like two days. It felt like so incredibly magical. It felt so, it felt so short and so long at the same time. It was so like, absolutely. I, I completely understand like the, the way that that place, the, the, no matter where it is, if it's in Orlando, if it is in Chicago, if it is in London, like it was just, if it was, if it's in, now we know we're going back to Tokyo, which wipes tears from face because probably not going to be able to go to that one but yeah no there's there's something special about celebration there is something very special about celebration yeah it was it was cool like hanging out with ryan at it because as far as i'm aware ryan has never missed a celebration oh wow and so he is like an old pro at going to them and my uh, my husband and i we do a lot of conventions we're cosplayers we love going to cons like we have a bunch of friends who we only see like two or three times a year when we like hang out with them at cons. So we like, we're we're going into it like pretty confident that like, Oh, we know how conventions are and celebration is different from any other convention. It is totally and wholly unique in how it does things. So having someone who was like old hat pro at like doing celebrations and like getting tips and tricks from him and his fiance Becca was very, very handy. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not really I'm not a convention person really at all. I think this was the first celebration was the one convention that I've been to and I remember Eli and I the first, when we got there we we couldn't figure out how to get up to the upper levels. It was a whole thing. We ended up in some freight yeah. elevators, some Oh yeah, we did end up in a freight elevator. Like how we did we get here? Missed, we nearly <laughs> missed the, we we were I would say five, six minutes earlier to the triad of the fourth panel 
Oh, yeah, that was right. And just that, because we could not find that god darn the fan panel room. It was yeah. it was it was infuriating. But that that's that's celebration for you. Yeah. And once um, you figure it out, you're like, this is amazing. I never want to leave. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. You know, but two Tales of the Jedi, this is weird. This this all three of these shorts discussing this is weird because this is the most recent Star Wars we've discussed here. And it's not even close. I remember, not only do I remember when this came out, I remember what I was doing when this came out. I remember, you know, this was seven months ago, which sounds crazy to say it out loud, but this was seven months ago. Give or take a few days. And yeah, it's it's crazy to look back on it now because it feels like it's been so long, but it also feels like it hasn't been that long at all. Yeah, so let's get to the summaries. Andy, do you want to start us off with Life and Death? Yeah, Life and Death is kind of a, I don't want to call it slow, but it is a little bit of a slower story with like spurts of high high octane drama and excitement it is about baby ahsoka and ahsoka's mom and they are gosh i don't know the name of the planet but they're torgudas torgudas star wars pronunciation of words who knows but uh, they're hanging out on this like jungle planet and we get the vibe that this village is extremely extremely close like it really does feel like everyone is each other's family and cares about each other and the neighbors are all really close and Ahsoka's mom is kind of walking around with Ahsoka in the woods and they get attacked by this like freaking space saber-toothed tiger and there's this vicious fight and it ends with the saber-toothed tiger carrying off baby Ahsoka and the the mom is devastated and she goes to rally the villagers to get help and like they get a posse together and everyone's looking for baby Ahsoka. And then it cuts to like baby Ahsoka with the saber tooth tiger. And for some reason, this tiger is just not munching down on what is sure to be a delicious appetizer for it, you know, and and the it's very clear that like force animal bond, which is a power we've seen in, in rebels and stuff is, is at play that the saber tooth tiger is not eating Ahsoka because Ahsoka is so powerful in the force. And then the tiger carries baby Ahsoka back to the village and just returns it. And the mom and the tiger look at each other and the tiger walks away. And that's basically it. It's, it's, it's very simple, but it's a fun one. Yep. It definitely yep. keeps it definitely keeps it simple, on the simple side. Yep. So, Logic. in practice makes perfect. Big big time jump. We're fat fast forward to. This feels maybe what one one and a half years into the Clone Wars. You know they still have the clones. We see the clones with the Phase One armor. We're in the Jedi Temple. We've got Ahsoka. You know she's doing her thing with some training droids. She's whirling and twirling. We've got this. Is it Terra Terra Sanube? Yep. The Jedi in charge of the. Okay, got that one. Got that one. Terra Sanube in charge. Anakin and Obi Wan, obviously watching watching Anakin's Padawan, uh, Obi Wan's grand grand Padawan. I guess you could say 
And we, we do see, we actually see Caleb Doom, a.k.a. Kanan Jarrus, with his master, Death of the Lava, there. So I think that I think that is a really cool detail that we got to see them. Ahsoka and Anakin. Anakin's kind of displeased with the with the training. He says it's not a real challenge. Ahsoka says, bring it on. Whatever you got, I can handle it. So Anakin brings her out to some kind of facility somewhere. And he just has his clones just go at her with stun blasters all day. And she's getting knocked down and she's doing it over and over and over again. She's slowly, slowly getting better, but she has taken a lot of stuns, a lot of stun bolts to the body. And we get a time jump, actually. And then we see her doing the same drill once she has two lightsabers in the hangar of a Venator cruiser. And then another time jump. And we see Rex, she and Rex are preparing to walk into the hangar filled with clones on the Venator cruiser in the Siege of Mandalore. And they have this little moment. And Rex says, let's hope all that training pays off. And then they walk in. So again, short, sweet, keeping it simple. But I think it was pretty exciting. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. And then finally, the least controversial of all three of these, Resolve. In Resolve. Give me a second, sorry. Okay, there we go. You you cut out for the froze for a second, everybody. But okay. Anyway, in Resolve, Ahsoka is at Padme Amidala's funeral after the at the end of Revenge of the Sith. It's revealed that she'd she'd flown there in the Y-wing that we saw she took at the end of Victory and Death with Rex. Vale Organa sees her, talks to her, and helps her evade clone authorities before giving her a comm device and saying, "If you ever need anything, please contact me." Ahsoka goes on goes to a planet with a bunch of people and prevents a bale of hay from falling on a woman's head, which her brother sees and then gets the attention of the Inquisitors, who then burn down the village and almost kill the brother before Ahsoka stops, stops the lightsaber blade from the Inquisitor, kills the Inquisitor with a bit of force trickery with his own lightsaber, and then calls Bail Organa in, ready to rejoin the fight. For further detail, read the Ahsoka novel. All right, but first, let's get to life and death. I'm going to open it up with this one because this, as Andy mentioned, is a di- is is starkly different from all five other shorts in this weird way. And you know, I, I agree with you about its slow nature, but it, it's a fun one because, like, very much. I remember watching it yesterday, and if you just kind of let it wash over you, like. You don't kind of get that sensation with a lot of other Star Wars stuff. And it's very like, it, it is not about the plot as much. It is not about X happens and Y happens and Z happens. It's about learning about how the Togrutans process things and how they how they view these concepts of life and death and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's definitely one definitely more about the vibes i think you might say in this one i like just you know you sit back take a breath it's 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 beautifully animated the art is amazing it's it's all 
the it's very artfully composed the music is rich and enveloping yeah i I like this one a lot i don't like it really yeah really tell tell us more tell us more so i was actually i was gonna say i was actually on, on your side until i watched this again and now i've liked it a lot more I watched it for the second time to get ready for today. And I think I liked it more the first time, but on rewatch where like, I already know everything that happens. I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is so, so boring. And we don't learn anything about Ahsoka really. Like clearly the point of these is to like the point of tales of the Jedi is to give us further information to help us contextualize characters who are familiar with like the Dooku episodes every single one of them gives us new information about who Dooku is and why he became the man he became and Ahsoka's mom being like kind of a cool badass who cares about community and is a good neighbor and has this really vicious and heroic fight and like has to comes to terms with the fact that like she probably lost her daughter all of that doesn't give us anything about ahsoka because ahsoka is an infant and is going to be raised in the jedi temple so her relationship with her mom really doesn't have an impact on who she becomes as an adult like she's not like anakin who's gonna like join after he's nine and shmi has a huge impact on his life like heroicness isn't an inherited trait like there's there's nothing about ahsoka's mom and learning about ahsoka's mom that can really give us information on who ahsoka is just because like that relationship doesn't have an impact if it was about her relationship with plo koon who we knew young ahsoka had a really important relationship with plo koon that would have been helpful or yoda even like that could have been insightful if we saw ahsoka in like her youngling clan being mentored by Yoda or Plo Koon, like that would have been really insightful. But I really don't think this gives us any anything that we can take as fans into our understanding of this character. I think I think you you have a good point. This is definitely not the most informative of episodes, I will admit. And I was kind of hoping that Plo Koon would show up. And I think now that I think about it more, you are right. It would make, obviously, it would make a lot more sense for us to see something of Ahsoka's time as a youngling in her clan with Plo Koon. Especially, you know, I, I'm, I'm very partial to Plo Koon. I think he's a pretty cool character. I wish we saw more of him in the Clone Wars. I loved his little thing with the clones and the escape pods and the Malevolence arc. You know, his relationship with Ahsoka is something that I would love to see. So I think you are right. I think that... I kind of just, I kind of just viewed it, I guess, from a not very critical lens when I watched it. I was just like, "Oh, it's it's fun. We're seeing this stuff." But I, I, I do agree. I think that there could have been, there could have been so much more in the place of this episode. I think I've grown on this episode the most. I think I very much like you, Andy. When I first watched this, I was like, "I don't get it. I just don't get it." And I think it's it's weird now. However, when, and I think this short actually confirms to me, 
that this is going to happen. When Ahsoka does pass on into the Force, when she does die, I think this is going to gain a lot more meaning to it. I don't know how, but I think that I think that there is like because you know there was an old running joke about how how much Dave Filoni loved to bring Ahsoka back and like oh is he ever going to kill her? I think he is going to kill her at some point. And I think that the idea of you must face death Ahsoka is going to come in somewhere. I don't know where. And you could also make the argument that it's it's also referring to Malachor and what she faced there with that near-death experience and her, like, really reevaluating her way, not just as a Jedi, not just as a Force user, but as a person in the galaxy. You, you could... You could argue it's talking about that, and I certainly don't think that's wrong. But I think that this is going to... I think that we're going to get a lot of new perspective when Ahsoka does pass on. Whether that's in live action or animation. And I cannot tell you which I think it's going to be, because I don't know. There is, like, good stuff in here. Like, I have heard from plenty of content creators who are moms that this episode really means a lot to them. And I think that's fantastic. And like, I don't want to take away any way that they, that they feel about that. Like if, if you're a mom and you watched this episode and it really connected with you to see like this, this story of this mother, like dealing with this horrific situation, that's awesome. And like, that's, that's great that you have that perspective and that lens on it as someone who, is not a parent, is never going to be a parent, has no interest in being a parent. I can't connect to it on that level. And I don't like the trope that like heroic characters have super heroic, awesome, capable parents. Like something I love about Kylo Ren is that he has two incredible parents and he came out like a shitlord. <laughs> like, I think that's fantastic. I really love that. I, I think it's really important that Luke is raised by two perfectly normal average people. Like his parents are Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, and they are the most average moisture farmers you're going to find. I wouldn't say that about Beru. If you said that's that true, that's true. Beru is ready to kick to some kick ass. Your ass. Yeah. But like they are very ordinary people who have been put in an extraordinary circumstance. Like Ahsoka's mom has this like, sniper rifle and like combat knife and doesn't blink once when this giant saber tooth cat appears so like it is a very common trope and we do see it a lot in star wars like ray couldn't just be ray nobody she has to have a super heroic mom and dad and be connected to palpatine and like Ezra i don't need mace windu's parents to be super awesome badasses for mace windu to be a super awesome badass like I don't need Obi-Wan's parents to be super powerful in the force because Obi-Wan's powerful. Like people can just be people and come from ordinary homes. So like that kind of bugs me a little bit. And like seeing Ahsoka as a baby, nothing about how someone is as a baby matters to who they are as an adult. It just doesn't. So like if we had seen maybe Ahsoka on her youngling trip to Ilam, 
like that could have been really informative and really cool. And like, yeah, like get David Tennant back, like show Ahsoka have a cool force vision when she finds her Kyber. You know, you know, like there's so many other stories you could have told with Ahsoka, even as like a young character, you know, that would have given us the viewers more insight to her journey than as a baby. Like, I don't care who the character is. Nothing about who they are as a baby matters to me because it doesn't matter to anyone in real life like who you are as an infant plays no part in who you are as a young adult as an adult as anything else so that's my big issue here is it still animated beautifully yes do i love seeing more about the turgruta homeworld absolutely did i love the cool big cat i love a cool big cat so there is still good stuff here just for me it's kind of a miss yeah I think even, you know, we have that one moment at the end of the episode when I can't remember her name, but the the elder of the village, the elderly woman says Ahsoka is a Jedi, you know. No, 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 but... she doesn't. I'm going to have to stop you right there. She says, and the only reason I'm, I'm, I'm correcting you on this is because I love this moment so god darn much. Ahsoka is Jedi. Okay, fair enough. Well, I think we see that look, you know, we see Ahsoka's parents kind of turn towards each other with that look of dawning comprehension of, oh, Ahsoka's going to go away. What does this mean for her life? Us thinking about her future as parents. That would have been something really interesting as well, more interesting potentially to dig into than what we got was what if we start at that moment and then go forwards and we see your parents working with letting go of Ahsoka, you know, Plo Koon coming to get her, you know, that could have been potentially, it wouldn't have directly informed the character of Ahsoka as much, but it would have, again, given, it would have made it a little more rich and interesting, I think, potentially. I think that would have informed us about Ahsoka a little bit, just because seeing Plo Koon come and get her, we know how oh, important yeah. the Plo Koon Ahsoka relationship is. So like, even if we're not learning much necessarily because Ahsoka is still really young, you know, maybe she's a toddler then seeing the very foundation of that relationship with Plo Koon would have been a big deal. Yeah. And we, and we see, we already have the flashback in Clone Wars. I can't remember which episode of Ahsoka, you know, meeting Plo Koon for the first time ostensibly. And we know that they don't, at this point, especially nothing, nothing headed up by Dave Filoni is, is really shy at all about redoing a scene or a moment, you know, reanimating it, showing it again in a different piece of media. So yeah, I, I, I would have, I would have liked to see something like that. There's a lot of things I would like to see mm -hmm. in this episode, but I still, I appreciated it for what it was, but Andy, you bring up a, a, a very, very many good points about, it could have it could have done a lot more could have done a lot more yeah it's 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 interesting to think about like what it's absolutely interesting to think about what could have been and 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 how and where the short takes place and how it makes use of 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 what it has and what it does with its characters as you mentioned, Andy, knowing that they're not going to be in Ahsoka's life, their parents, for much longer. I guess I'll throw in my two cents, which is 
the thing I really did appreciate about this this short is the idea of because this has always been something that has confused quite a few fans. And I remember talking with some of my friends about it and who are less like hardcore fans, which is the idea of why would parents want to give their child over to the Jedi Order? And I'm not going to say this provides the answer, period, but there's that source of reverence when Gantika, the older Tegrita, says, Ahsoka is Jedi. It's this reverence. It's this optimism. It's this, more than anything, and I'm going to say the Star Wars word again, hope of, you know, and I, um, I I think I might be thinking a lot about this because I've just gotten off of watching Young Jedi Adventures, which takes place during the High Republic era. And the idea of the High Republic era, of course, is that the Jedi are, for the most part, who they say they are. As contrast did with the prequel trilogy in which they're very they very much jacob you can write down another point for yourself lost their way <laughs> you know they are they are the noble magnanimous peacekeepers that often not always of course but that they say they are and that i think even after the threat of the nile subsided however it did we don't know yet and the and the Jedi started to go on the path that we're going to see them in in the Acolyte, we know when it comes out, and of course, down the road, the prequel trilogy. I still think there are quite a few in the galaxy who think of the Jedi as they were in the High Republic era. There are quite a few that don't, as we see constantly in the Clone Wars and other sources, but there are a bunch of them who do. And I think that this to Gruton Village was one of them. And when they say Ahsoka is Jedi. I think they're realizing Ahsoka's destiny and how she is not just a new valued Togruton child, but that she has this that she has this special, she has this great, she has this destiny of great importance ahead of her. And I really like that moment at the end of the at the end of the short and how it kind of ties into the larger, like how the Jedi are viewed in the galaxy and and what the Jedi as a symbol can be at their at their greatest. It does contradict the the lie that Sith characters tell that a lot of fans believe that the Jedi steal babies. Like the amount of Star Wars fans that I have heard be like, oh yeah, the Jedi are the real bad guys. The Sith yeah. are the good guys because the Sith aren't out there stealing babies. And I'm just like, look, I know that you've heard like villain characters in like different video games and different comics and different books like spout that about the Jedi, but we we know from canon material that that is not true. Like there is an old Tales of the Jedi comic, which if you did not grow up in the early 2000s and have not read Tales of the Jedi, they are non-canon short stories in comic book form 
that are just like fun. Like maybe one's a really cool action beat. Maybe one is like like a little comedy, like poking fun at Star Wars in a, in a silly lens. Like there's one where Han Solo is on like a freaking Judge Judy esque court TV thing about the Greedo murder, and Han doctored the video evidence to show Greedo shooting first. And like it's silly and it's funny, and like these are non-canon stories. But there's one that I think really like broke people's brains where Ara Singh kidnaps a, a, a baby from the Jedi Temple and like Mace chases her down and she accuses Mace of stealing babies. And he's like, well, that's not true. Like the Jedi don't steal babies. And then Ara is like, tell that to them. And here she had not been hired by some nefarious people to kidnap this baby. She had been hired by the parents who regretted giving the child to the Jedi and wanted it back. And that is a really interesting story. And it's a really compelling idea that someone would regret giving their child to the Jedi and would pay a bounty hunter to like mission impossible, kidnap the baby back. Yeah. But like, we just know that the Jedi aren't out there kidnapping babies. So having this story kind of set up that like, this village considers it a huge honor and this elder who's really respected says it in this all filled way that like she is Jedi. That is some good stuff. And I like, I can appreciate it helping a little bit to dispel a very pervasive lie amongst certain corners of the fandom that the Jedi are evil baby kidnappers. Cause I don't, I don't dig that. Like, I don't think that's true. I don't think Obi-Wan is out there kidnapping babies to, fill the mighty bear clan with younglings like (laughs) like, come on yeah Yeah. no the the yeah the 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 jedi kidnapping babies thing for me is yeah has always been a bit like like, sith lie sith lie that's what they do sith lie is what they do yeah um and 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 the idea yeah and the idea that the jedi would yeah no It, it it doesn't like the 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 are the argument doesn't it doesn't need to be go, gone down more because I feel like of how well litigated it is and how, at the end of the day, just strange it is. But yeah, I, I, I honestly, and and I'm I'm not like criticizing him. I I wasn't expecting it to be this mixed about this short. But no, I, I think this this short honestly is a you you vibe with it or you don't, mm-hmm. and. I, I'm not, and and if you vibe with it or if you don't, doesn't mean you're a better person or a better fan or anything like that. Absolutely not. But like, there, I think there are certain people who like this and certain people who don't. Yeah, and like even for for someone who's probably the most negative out of the three of us on it, like like I said, there is stuff that I really do appreciate from from it. Like there are aspects of it that I do like, and I've heard from fans who love it, and so I'm glad that they have it and they can watch it as much as they want. Will I rewatch this one when I rewatch Tales of the Jedi? Probably not. I'll probably skip it. But like I'm happy there are people who really dig it and I can at least grab the stuff that I did appreciate about it and like carry that forward even if I don't watch this one again. Yeah, absolutely. Um I think there yeah, that's that's part of my own Star Wars like philosophy. Is there always is for me something to be gained from everything. And but I think if there's nothing else on this specific one, then we should probably get on to Practice Makes Perfect, which I think is safe to say. It, for me, it's my favorite of these three. Um, it's, it, 
it is, I just want to say, I think it is maybe one of the best encapsulations of Ahsoka's journey in the Clone Wars in 10 minutes flat. Like, I don't know how they did it, but they did a, a like, a, a an Ahsoka story spanning a good three years Maybe two. We don't know exact timing of longer, longer. It is a running joke on Force Runs rewatch. How I do not believe the Clone Wars happened over three years because it's not possible, <laughs> and I do not think time matters in Star Wars. Like, like, how long did Luke train on Dagobah with Yoda? It doesn't matter. He trained with yeah. Yoda as long as he needed yeah. to to be able yeah. to yeah. lightsaber fight on Bespin. Yeah, uh, how, he trained with Yoda. This... I think he trained on Yoda like for like his Z weeks. I think it, I think I, yeah, I think it's. When, when does the Mandalorian take place? It doesn't matter. Like stop asking that question. Yeah. It is not important. It's, 14. I just can't buy that. It's two years or two and a half years. So yeah, it um, is, it, it is, it is yeah. quite. Yeah. I, I'm I, an age. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a clone wars was longer truther. I don't believe that it was only a three year conflict. Yeah. I think it was way longer than that. Yeah. yeah. And then but also time end... doesn't matter in star Wars. Yeah. And I'm time like, doesn't matter in star Wars. I'm an um, idiot for caring about yeah. this. Yeah. But... Yes. Time in star Wars yeah. is fucked. Like they, they cannot expect me to believe that Kylo Ren acting the way he does in the last Jedi, the force awakens, how is supposed to be what? Like 30. I don't know. It, it yeah, doesn't 30-ish. make, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Like, that's like yeah, I was gonna he's say acting like I, he's like I, a seventeen-year-old emo kid. Like because I was gonna time, say time Jacob, in Star Wars doesn't even I, matter. I'm like sorry the world this character. exists anyway. I, like, I'm 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 sorry to mention this character in front of you, Jacob, because I know you don't like it when, when we do this. When 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 I when I freaking when I don't when we don't have to. But the biggest one for me is is Bo-Katan. See, you you always think you're gonna get a reaction out of me, but I'm I'm matured now. I'm okay, sure. sure. Now, Eli. But like Bo-Katan <laughs> objectively does not make sense. No. Bo-Katan. She's always got her helmet on, so maybe she's like not like aging inside like the helmet, okay? Face moisturizing, anti-aging. Maybe maybe man maybe Beskar has like weird chemical properties. I don't know. <laughs> And, Nothing and like, makes sense in Star Wars. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's not I, the point. I, I, I don't matter. need Star Wars to explain why Ewan McGregor goes to Alec Guinness. Like, I don't need yeah. Star Wars to explain that, like, oh, we got Katie Sackhoff to play the same character in live action. So, like, she looks way younger than she should be. I don't I don't care. It's not important. Like, I, like again, time doesn't matter in Star Wars. It's fun for fans yeah. to, like, nitpick and, like, argue about stuff. But at the end of the day, like, that's yeah, not what the not art matter. is about. That's not what the, yeah. like story is about absolutely so like don't worry about it so like yeah i can yell all day on my podcast about how like there's no way the clone wars was a three-year conflict but it doesn't matter and like yeah it, it, it can be a weird pet peeve of mine but i also understand that like that's the oh, emotional yeah. arc of the Clone Wars is not about it fitting in a three-year time period. It's about, like, the horrors of war and religious trauma and, like, the bonds we form and stuff like that. Like, it, it's way deeper and bigger than, like, oh, well, the, the calendar BBY. And, uh, yeah. Like, it, it, <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. But anyway, exactly what we were originally talking about. It is such a great encapsulation of however long the clone wars is in an entire war 
in 10 minutes. And first, I got I feel like we got to talk about because I, Jacob, of course, you have to, you, you brought it up because, you know, you had to. Caleb Doom. Caleb Doom. Kanan Jarrus, my, my favorite, my favorite Jedi. He's there. Something about a... the fact that, that there is now concrete evidence that they knew who the other one was before Star Wars Rebels makes me really, really happy. Same. I, I saw this and I was like, I jumped out. Of my, I was like, I was like, wait, wait, that's wait, what, what? Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! I, I just had one of those. I had one of those moments, and I know people talk sometimes about you know small galaxy syndrome and whatnot. But I just thought I thought it was a nice. I don't know. I thought it was a nice touch. It makes sense that he would be there, and it's. I, I'm not sure how much it really affects rebels especially since we don't actually get that much of a relationship between Kanan and Ahsoka in the show. Interestingly enough, but I thought it was a cool, I just thought it was a cool little moment that I enjoyed. Yeah. It's clear they had the animation model from Bad Batch and decided to put him in there and seeing him like fanboy out about Ahsoka doing really well in this challenge is fun. Uh, It's fun to think about like, Kanan might remember who Ahsoka is, but I doubt Ahsoka would remember who Kanan is. Yeah, so, like, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Like, if you think about, like, Ahsoka is the high school quarterback, is she going to remember, like, the kid in the stands cheering about her touchdown? Yeah. Probably not. But, like, the kid who grew up watching those high school football games, like, he might be like, no, like, I, I saw you play. You were incredible. You got the touchdown. Like, so yeah. that's, that's fun to think about. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a very good way to describe it. That's a very good way to describe it. I yeah. love that. And, and I, I like the idea that, like, the I, I like the idea that because obviously for us, for the fans, the idea of Ahsoka coming in at the end of season one of Rebels was a huge deal. But up until that point, for the characters, other than wow this is a super powerful jedi who is renowned in the order and blah 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 like on a personal level we didn't understand quite yet why it was a big deal to the characters that ahsoka came in and i like that this provides a bit more like oh kane this is this is one of kanan's jedi heroes that we now know survived the purge and that we now know that and that, that he you know fanboyed over as much as, you know, he fanboyed over other giants like Obi-Wan Kenobi or Anakin Skywalker. And to have, like, now them on somewhat of an equal playing field now is, an it like, really adds to that dyna- dynamic. And I really want to go back and watch some season two episodes of Rebels now to see, like, like I want to see any moments because I... I think I might find them of like Kanan trying like, and this is way better illustrated with Cham in Rebels, but of Kanan trying to like, okay, be cool, be cool, be cool. I really love the moment where Ahsoka asks Anakin his opinion and he like very nonchalantly like blows it off and is like, I like, you don't want to know. And like, I don't want to talk about it. And then as they're leaving the room, she like pesters him like, no, tell me. And he like goes to pull her behind him. And he realizes like 
Kanan and Depp are there. So then he goes to like pull her off to the side and he realizes CNCS Tin and some other Jedi whose name I don't know are there. And so finally he like pulls her over to a window where he can talk privately and he starts bad mouthing the Jedi and he starts bad mouthing the test. And it's clear that he is like hesitant to express a negative opinion around other Jedi about the order and about how they're doing things. And that is really interesting perspective on Anakin right there. Yeah. I love that. I, I think it's it's a really powerful but super subtle thing that we're learning about Anakin in that moment that he knows that if he's too negative about stuff that he'll get in trouble and that he'll get a talking to. And I'm sure he's had many talking tos about being a Jedi master to a Padawan and like doing things differently. Yeah. So he sets up his own private test in the middle of nowhere on Coruscant. It, it looks to me like the same sort of places where we see like Count Dooku meeting with Sidious. So I, I think it's fun to imagine that like Count Dooku is like a block over, like privately leaving Coruscant from his yeah. meeting with Sidious where Anakin is like training Ahsoka. But he, he sets up a better, harder test in secret because he knows he'd get in trouble for providing a better option to the Jedi. And the fact that he knows if he brings up something positive that they could be doing better, he would get a, a, a scolding. I think provides some perspective about why he wasn't willing to go to the Jedi for extremely negative stuff that he was struggling with. So, yeah, though there is a look and I don't know if, if I was reading too much into this, but there was a look when Ahsoka and Anakin part ways between Obi-Wan and Yoda when, when they, they, they part ways that it almost looks like Yoda and Obi-Wan kind of thought that Anakin might do something like this. Maybe that was just like me reading too much into a glance or something, but 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 it felt like a oh here he goes again. Yeah, I I think that they probably expect stuff like that from Anakin. I will say other like tiny positives from that first scene is I love like I always love seeing Mace Windu. I think Mace Windu is an awesome character, and I think he was right about everything. I know that there's some Mace Windu negativity on the show. Mace um, Windu haters are everywhere. You gotta watch you out know, for those Mace Windu haters. <laughs> I think Mace is great, so I love seeing him again. His costume is slightly different, which I love. I love seeing these characters in slightly different costumes. And I love that Ahsoka's look is not backless anymore. Like, yeah, I hate Ahsoka's costumes in Clone Wars. I think they're bad character design and they're bad costume design. She's in like a tube top and then she's in like this backless number. And it's like kind of weird and gross doesn't make um, any sense doesn't make any her sense siege of mandalore look is phenomenal and her her like ahsoka walkabout costume is great and this <clears throat> is her like classic later arc clone wars look but it it's not backless and i think it's a fantastic redesign and if i could give lucasfilm all of my money to go and like redo all of clone wars all with this TCW, costume I would yeah do it. it's a much better look and like Shout out to all the cosplayers now who want to cosplay Apprentice Ahsoka without wearing a tube top or backless. You now have a, a great alternative. Absolutely. And I think as well, to loop back for one second to talking about Anakin, there's something I wanted to say. I think it's interesting that you 
that we bring up, you know, Anakin and the Jedi, because oftentimes I feel like in the Clone Wars, they kind of portray Anakin as he doesn't care what the Jedi think. Like he's just doing his thing. Like he's such a, he's such a rule breaker and, and, a, and a maverick and, and all that stuff. But really, I think, you know, as this, as this scene kind of shows, he is really actually really sensitive to what people think about him and what the Jedi think about him. To what Obi-Wan, Yoda, Mace Windu think and say about him. He's not like Qui-Gon in that sense where he really is just kind of doing his own thing and unbothered. But I think, I think that's a, it's a great little moment where we kind of get to see that a little bit more because he does such a good job. I think often Anakin does of kind of hiding that behind all of his bravado and all of his achievements. But we see that, you know, when, when Obi-Wan, you know, scolds him, when Mace Windu and, whoever kind of cut him off at the knees sometimes it I think it hurts him and that leads to him feeling the way that he does having the feelings that he does about the Jedi by the time of Revenge of the Sith rolls around with him saying the things that he does to Padme for instance and and like to that point like Anakin is not controlling because he's a narcissist like Anakin's behavior here is very controlling but it's coming from like a deep passionate care for the people in his circle. Like he knows how hard this war is. He knows how hard it is to be a Jedi. He knows what their front lines are like. And he's not being, he's not like pushing Ahsoka to these extremes because he's a weird abusive narcissist. He's pushing Ahsoka to these extremes because he wants her to live and he wants her to be okay. And he wants her to be able to take care of herself when he's not around and none of that is negative like all of that is good stuff and his behavior here i think is really positive i I, like i saw some fans like pushing back that anakin was too hard on her here and i'm like no he's as hard as he needs to be here yeah and the episode goes out of its way to like kind of show that ahsoka is able to use this training in the final season of clone wars oh absolutely uh i i oh go ahead I want to reject clickbait articles that I saw when this dropped seven months ago of like, Tales of the Jedi finally explains how Ahsoka is able to survive the Siege of Mandalore. And I'm like, no, like we did not need this episode to explain how Ahsoka survives the Siege of Mandalore. Like, yeah. <laughs> Ahsoka survives the Siege of Mandalore because we saw seven seasons of her leading up to it, of her being a total badass and like yeah. learning and growing and becoming an amazing force user. Ahsoka survived the Siege of Mandalore because Ahsoka survived the Siege of Mandalore. Yeah, this this episode provides some really interesting context into the relationship she had with Anakin, and it sets up a payoff to the Siege of Mandalore if you've seen that. But you, if you just watch the Siege of Mandalore without having seen this, you don't leave going, how did she survive all those clones attacks? Like, how did she survive Order 66? It doesn't make sense. Like, Not at all, yeah. yeah, You saw, she did it. This isn't like fixing that. This isn't filling in a plot hole. I saw so many episodes, like so, so many articles of being like, Tales of the Jedi fills in a plot hole. Oh, people misuse the word plot hole so I'm much. like, shut up. Ahsoka didn't need this episode. Like, nope. I'm glad we have it because it's a phenomenal little episode and it's a great short story and it provides tons of insights into her relationship with Anakin and into her relationship with her clone friends. But, and it, it really does make Siege of Mandalore like all the more tragic because like Jesse and yeah. stuff like, Oh my heart. When, when 
Anakin's like, Jesse really tagged you there. And sorry, oh, Commander. Yeah. Like, oh, the pain. Yeah, dear God. But it, it wasn't fixing anything. It wasn't filling in a plot hole. Like, that's not what this episode is doing. Yeah. For me, I feel like this episode is defined by one word. And this word, I think, I think maybe this word is the most magical word of this episode. And I, I, because it's said multiple times in multiple different ways. And every way has meaning, every way has purpose, every way has character. And that's, again, when Ahsoka gets stunned and finally gets gets up, sometimes, you know, the first time was after an hour, looks like the, the, the next times were after shorter amounts of time. Anakin's different expressions and intonations when he says, again is phenomenal directing, phenomenal, like, writing, phenomenal acting from Matt Lanter. Like, I I love that so much. The, you know, the idea that, you know, we've seen Ahsoka trained for this. We've seen her successes, her failures, the times where she, you know, is close to getting it, but not quite. And, you know, there's that, the, the, the long road, the, 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 in the repetitive, um, grueling, but necessary training that she had to go through because Anakin wanted her to be able to survive, as he says. And I think this is interesting with his connection to the last short's name, of course. This is a matter of life and death. Yeah. Which I think are two concepts that define Ahsoka's journey along the way, uh, especially with what we know Again, bringing back Malachor, bringing back Mortis, frankly, where she she dies, where Ahsoka Tano dies on Mortis, and then she is brought back to life. Like, I, I don't think, I think sometimes people forget that Ahsoka Tano literally dies on Mortis. It's, abs- that, that arc is absolutely crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And, I think something and, else, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Something else I think that's key here is that scene where Anakin kind of explains himself, you know, and as, as, as we were saying, as Andy was saying, he kind of explains it. Yeah. It's life and death. I'm, I'm doing this because I need to, because I, I want you to be prepared because I, I want you to survive and thrive, not because I'm trying to be an asshole. But I think what's interesting is that, it's one of the very few times in the Clone Wars, I guess in this in this time frame, which includes mostly the Clone Wars, where we see Anakin really be able to explain himself as to why he 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 does what he does, you know, why he treats people around him, namely Ahsoka, often the way that he does, and I think that's a that's kind of a a, a key moment. I think to understanding not only Anakin, but the fact that he is so often unable to kind of express himself and, and, you know, really communicate what he's doing and why, which kind of leads to the schism between him and a lot of the Jedi, I think. If I can like bounce off that too, with the fact that like Anakin is, pushing Ahsoka and training Ahsoka because she is a commander in a war. I'll see fans 
I'm a huge X-Men fan. I love the X-Men comics. And every so often there is hot Twitter discourse in the X-Men fandom about how all of the X-Men are child abusers and terrible people because they have teams of children fighting, you know, superhero stuff. And like every five or 10 years, they introduce a new class of like X kids because, you know, school for gifted youngsters and what have you. And every so often there's discourse about how Cyclops and Xavier and Emma Frost are all child abusers because they're teaching children how to fight supervillains and sentinels. And I see it with the Jedi all the time of like the Jedi are child abusers because they're having their Padawans fighting in the field. And I'm like, guys, like Batman is not a child abuser because he's running through orphans as Robin and he's had like six Robins now. Like that doesn't make him a child abuser. That makes him a comic book character because comic books are for children and they like to read about children doing cool stuff. And like, yes, if you are an adult and you decide to train a child how to use a laser sword so that she can fight killer robots on Mandalore, like, that's not good. Don't do that. Like, I don't know. Call the police or something. Like, do not train your child to fight with a laser sword to go kill robots. Get the military involved. But, like, this is a show for children, and children want to relate to a child character. So Ahsoka's a child. And she's doing cool, dangerous stuff because that's what Star Wars is. So, like, yeah. the idea of trying to apply, like, real-world values and like you should not let children fight you should keep them safe like yes that's true but this is a star war so like we want to see ahsoka kick some butt yeah Um, Yeah, absolutely like let's get our heads out of our butts like this is a genre show and there are genre tropes just like with batman and robin just like with the x-men and their class of students just like any other children's story where children do weird dangerous stuff because kids want to see kids do cool stuff yeah That's and, and of is. course and and i was gonna say also adding on to your point of course the what what makes these people's arguments so strengthened is that ahsoka is the only child who's ever kicked ass and oh wait shit <laughs> looks to grogu looks to omega i, I see it with grogu to- and omega all the time now too and i'm just like guys like it's a kid's show. Like it's it kids want to see kids do cool stuff. Like that's all this Look, is. Like it's looks not... to young Jedi adventures, that entire show should not be allowed absolutely at all, but is. Now I will say that I have a little more understanding about it for Clone Wars specifically, because Clone Wars does show how it messes kids up. AKA yeah, yeah. the whole point of Barris is to show that like the war is affecting the children involved really badly, but like that does not make the Jedi child. Like that doesn't make Anakin a child abuser because he put Ahsoka through training and like, let her fight in a war. Like that is just something we need to accept about star Wars. Same thing with like Padme being a queen at 14 and leading the battle of Naboo. Like, yeah. That doesn't mean that her parents are child abusers or like Naboo is idiots for electing a 14 year old president of the planet. It just means that like we're in a fantasy world yeah. and this you can't is apply a classic that trope of, of children's yeah. media. Yeah. yeah. 
I will also just add, and I'm going to keep the spoilers light on this part because Jacob has not does not know anything, I assume, about Jedi Survivor. I do not, no. Andy, where are you with, with you. that? I'm hoping to one day own a PS5 as where I'm at with Jedi Survivor. Okay. okay. So, like, have you heard anything about it? I've, I've watched some, like, friends streaming. I, I love Mr. Turgle with all my heart and soul. Yeah. I, I know one of the twists, but there's okay. still plenty of stuff I don't know yet. I'll, I'll I don't just care. say this. For my vague, sake, I don't care if you spoil it. You're in right. vague terms, there is a kid at the end of Survivor. And that kid may or may not have a future that involves fighting the Empire. And I was discussing it with somebody, and they're like, really, that kid's going to fight the Empire? I'm like, look, this is Star Wars. This is how it works. <laughs> so, like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's happening freaking all of the time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we brought up that point because it's, it's a good one. And I also just just went, just looked at my notes another time, and I forgot about this part. I love the the late on time banter that Anakin has with Obi Wan at the beginning, and then it, then Ahsoka has with Anakin. Yeah, that mirroring of the, that teacher student relationship is fantastic, and I think describes everything you need to know about how Anakin and Obi Wan treat their respective students. One, I think, probably a little better than what came out a little bit better than the other one, but yeah, there's that. And then, of course, we, as we talked about before, flash to to later in the Clone Wars, and then flash finally to the Siege of Mandalore, which I don't know about either of you, but flashing to that scene again, I felt like like I felt like a, a, a like a four hundred pound weight had been put on me again. I'm like, oh no, we're going back to siege again. No, don't do this. It's a me. <laughs> Because Shattered and Victory and Death, even though they are, I think, respectively, my my third and second favorite episodes of that show as a whole, kill me every time. So I had a college friend visiting this weekend, and he got his hands on an early copy of the new tabletop game, Shatterpoint, for Star Wars he is painting it for his local comic book shop and he's going to be doing demos. So he asked me like, Hey, do you mind if I bring this? And we, we play it all weekend. And I was like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. Like I love tabletop games. I love miniatures games. Like I'd love to play Shatterpoint. And my team was Ahsoka with the siege of Mandalore characters. So it was Ahsoka, Bo-Katan and some house Kree's Mandos. And it was Anakin Rex and two 501st clone troopers. And like, getting to play that all weekend and then getting to watch these episodes and like thinking about the siege of Mandalore. It was just so cool. It was such a great experience. And like those episodes are amazing. The relationship between Anakin and Ahsoka and Rex and Ahsoka is awesome and really interesting and really compelling. And I was just like in the perfect headspace for this episode after playing that awesome miniatures game all weekend. I actually remember there's a, there's a, speaking of RPGs and stuff like that, there was actually a similar one. I don't think I've talked about this on the show. There's a similar version of, of, of that for me actually recently to go off on a tiny bit of a tangent, which was I was watching, I was trying to a few months ago catch up on the incredible RPG real play series that's going on on all remaining systems, friend of the show, Michael McCoy, on his channel called Ionized Bastards. 
and they I was watching an episode on a Tuesday night, and you'll see why this is relevant later. I was watching an episode Tuesday night, and they were talking about, and, and in the RPG series, it takes place during the New Republic era, and they're trying to get an agent of the New Republic to help them with something. And it's revealing that, that, they're, that a New Republic agent that they're talking to is a rogue agent who saw this problem in the galaxy, tried to go to the New Republic, and the New Republic said, nah, that's not really any of our concern. And so he decided to pursue this on his own. And then the next morning I woke up because the pirate episode of The Mandalorian came out. And lo and behold, Carson Teva goes to the New Republic and Tim Meadows' character about the pirate threat with Gorian Shard. And Tim Meadows' character's like, you know, we don't need to worry about that's not That's not our issue. I'm like, oh my God, that could not have been more perfect timing. <laughs> That's really cool. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was it was crazy. But yeah, no. Siege of Mandalore always kills me. And yeah, actually I sh- I really want to now watch Victory and Death with this like just little clip like spliced in. Let's see how all that training pays off. And that they're approaching and that Rex and Ahsoka are approaching Jesse, as you mentioned before, Andy. Like oh mm-hmm. dear God. We we gave our full analysis on Siege Mandalore spliced in with Revenge of the Sith a while ago, but yeah, they they keep. I, I will give this to the creators of Star Wars canon now. They keep finding uh, ways to make Revenge of the Sith even more poignant and even more tragic every single time they revisit that specific point in time. I used to say that it was only about Order sixty six, but I think it's about that entire film. <laughs> Yeah. Anything else on this short, or should we go to resolve? Let's go. Do it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go to resolve. Which I, I first want to talk about Padme's funeral and Ahsoka being at Padme's funeral because it, it's the same thing as the Siege of Mandalore. I love how much I hate it. I love how much I hate, like, like I. I, I guess that's that's not, that 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 sounds weird, but like, it's crushing to see, and I love it. Not all retcons are bad. Yep. Some retcons are great, and having yep. Ahsoka be at Padme's funeral is a retcon. We've all seen Revenge of the Sith; she's not there. Ahsoka didn't exist yet. Yep. But adding her to that scene is extremely powerful, and yep. I love it. I think it's a fantastic retcon. It's great. Yeah, I don't think I've had a chance to watch Revenge yet since then, but now I'm just imagining, like, looking at Padme's, knowing that somewhere in the background Ahsoka's there. And obviously I also think the the the, the, the part between Bale and Ahsoka on Nebu, if you, if you ever, ever need anything, call me. I think that's, I, I think the idea that so shortly after Order 66 that Ahsoka realizing that there are people who want to help her out there in the galaxy besides Rex, who she had to literally pull a chip out of in order to get him to see the light is, is a, is a really nice touch. And I, I really like that. Any thoughts before we get to what I think is the elephant in the room with this short? I don't know. I think, I don't know. The shot of them on the balcony is beautiful. I love I love that they retconned it for Ahsoka to be there. You know, that 
old scene, you know, Bale kind of talking to the troopers, but he's really talking to Ahsoka. You know, so many tasty shots of Naboo. I'm kind of a sucker for the animation and the art and the, the world building. And I really think this episode in that regard did a tremendous job. I'll, I just, I'll just start this by, I remember my first mistake that day logging onto Twitter and seeing as it does sometimes, I feel, I felt like I was Donald Glover in that community and shot <laughs> walking into the room and fires everywhere. And I'm like, oh no, but yeah. So Andy, do you want, I, do you want to start this off? J- just because I'm, I don't want people to think I'm overly negative because I also didn't like the first short very much. I like the cool astromech that's like stompy stompy with the oh, seven legs. I love all the Naboo sick. shots. I love the Inquisitor's weird bird mask. I love that his body yeah. like dissolves or whatever. Like there's so many stuff in this episode that I really do enjoy. I think the planet and all of the art looks fantastic. Bail Organa is a real one. Yeah. I, you know, there's tons here that I really enjoy. However, I am a I am an E.K. Johnson fan. I like her Star Wars novels a lot. I'm a big fan of her writing. She's come on my pod. So like full disclosure, I think that's really cool of her. I have a small podcast. She didn't need to do that. So I liked the Ahsoka novel a lot. And the Ahsoka novel is really what this short is adapting. Oh, yeah. I am fine with adaptations being different. The Count of Monte Cristo movie from like 2004 is in my top 10 favorite movies and it changes the tone from the book. I like the book. I like the movie better. I love the Lord of the Rings movies. They're very different from the books. I have no problem with the changes the Bad Batch made to the Canaan comic. I love the Canaan comic. I love the Bad Batch. I'm fine with there being inconsistencies based on adaptation. That's not what this is about at all. After this aired, I actually, I had a great discussion with Alden Diaz on his show about it. We spent the whole time of of that episode, like talking about this drama with these episodes. So if you want like a kind of more in-depth breakdown of some of the issues there, go listen to that. If I can plug Alden's show. Well, absolutely. I was just listening to that this morning just to, refresh myself because I knew that this was of course one of the conversations we'd be having as we Mm -hmm. should but you know absolutely go listen to that conversation very important conversation to have about because it is a tricky thing and I'm not just talking about this scenario in fact I'm not really talking about this scenario as much as I'm talking about scenarios like this as a whole when we're talking about storytelling intersecting with representation issues Mm -hmm. and with issues of you know people wanting absolutely fairly to be to feel like they're being represented in stories and yeah this one was but go on i feel like yeah yeah so there is a character in the ahsoka novel who she is a woman of color we don't exactly know her race because star wars does not use words for race which complicates things like you know, like Cassie and Andor is not Mexican, even though Diego Luna is Mexican because Mexico doesn't exist yeah. in Star Wars. And like yeah. Hispanic people don't and Latinos don't exist in Star Wars. So like they can't use those words to describe Cassie and being, you know, Mexican. So it complicates things when you're reading a book and you can't see a character. But 
presumably Caden is a black woman and she's queer. She tells Ahsoka, like, I have feelings for you. And Ahsoka seems reciprocal. She kind of says, like, hey, I'm kind of into the idea, but I just left this cult where you're not allowed to, like, have romantic feelings and I don't really know how to process this, like, what might be mutual attraction. So, like, not right now. That's, like, basically Ahsoka's response. And, like, Ahsoka has meant a lot to queer viewers for a really long time. I, I think she was always important to queer viewers just because, like, when Ahsoka first showed up, she was really hated. And queer people tend to respond to characters who are hated and be like, they're mine now. Uh, we want to keep them safe. We know what it's like to be hated. But then when she leaves the Jedi Order, that was incredibly powerful. So, like, a lot of queer people have had to, like, either leave religious institutions or leave family or leave important relationships to them once they come out because of how those loved ones or those institutions respond. So Ahsoka has been important to queer viewers for a long time. EK giving Ahsoka that scene was really powerful to queer people. And with how long ago the Ahsoka novel came out, I think Kaden might have been the first queer black character in Star Wars, period. Add on the idea of a queer woman character of color. So, like, Kaden was a huge deal for representation. Having that relationship be with Ahsoka, having it be a woman of color, really, really important stuff. And so to have this adopt the Ahsoka novel and replace Kaden with another character who serves the same function but is not Kaden is really weird. Yeah. And it feels bad. And, like, queer people were upset. We do not have any queer characters on screen yet in Star Wars to this day. I do uh, not count Blinkin' You'll Miss It as representation. Like, Yeah, no, nor the, should you. The, 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 the kiss in Rise of Skywalker is not representation to me. Yeah. One, pl- people kiss their friends all the time platonically. Like, have you ever met an Italian? Like, <laughs> le- like... That's just a really common thing for friends to do. So, like, yeah. having two women in the background kiss each other after, like, destroying the worst Death Star fleet, like, like yeah. that, that to me isn't representation. Like, I kiss my friends all the time. Like, I kiss women all the time. That doesn't mean I'm attracted to them. Like, like that doesn't mean anything. So, like, yeah. that to me isn't representation. Like, that's not representation. Like, there's yeah. the... I always forget their names, but there's, like, the pig man and the owl man from oh, Resistance, which they're cool and they're fun. And I know that the creator said that they're intended to be queer, but yeah. there is nothing actually on screen that says they're a couple. They're basically yeah. Bert and Ernie. Like they're mm. two really close friends who live together, who everyone is kind of looking at them like they feel like a couple, yeah. but they never but- hold hands. They never refer to each other as partners, except like their business partners and like they're not wearing wedding rings. They don't have the same last name. Like there's nothing that says they're a couple on that show. I also remember that like in there's that one episode where Ahsoka loses her lightsaber in the clone wars. And those two women who try to 
like sell her lightsaber are apparently also behind the scenes were confirmed to be queer but like you know how would you know that exactly the closest we've gotten are Vel and Cinta in Cassian and I love Vel and Cinta I know that they're intended to be a couple but it's only ever talked about in innuendo and there's nothing on screen that confirms it like yeah they clearly mean a lot to each other they're clearly very close the the guy from the bear like makes a joke like oh like she's already sharing her sleeping bag with someone else but like that is not confirmation that they're a couple yeah like it can be read that way but if you just talk about representation in innuendo and you don't show anything then that's not representation so like this hurt extra bad because it was it would have been so easy to have Caden on screen and even if you're like this is a kid's show queer stuff is controversial like I understand Disney wanting to avoid that scandal do I think that's shitty of Disney like yeah I don't think you should cave to bigots but you could have still had Caden here and just not have the scene where she tells Ahsoka hey I'm into you And Ahsoka be like, I don't know how to handle that. I just left a cult. Like you could have just had Caden and not shown that scene. And it would have been one, a better adaptation of the novel. And two, you wouldn't have been erasing a really important character in the history of star Wars, who was like the first queer woman of color. Like, I don't know. Seems weird. Seems weird to adopt the novel and like remove the other main character from it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little it's it's quite shitty, I think. Like I mean it's one thing like to to not have an overt reference to those characters' queerness like in this short, as you said, like it would still be kind of shitty, but not as shitty as like it seems to me more malicious that they like completely just kind of wiped this character out of the story there there are two explanations for it it's very strange and like explanation one is that dave filoni had given ek johnston his notes on this like unshot arc of clone Wars stuff and she used those notes to adapt her story and that when dave then did this episode of the show he just went back to the notes he gave ek and he didn't look at the novel from ek yeah which like that's one like kind of careless but it's not maybe malicious the other version is that disney was like you can absolutely not put a queer black woman into this children's show rewrite it and that's grosser for sure neither explanation feels good though like yeah absolutely and like even if dave like control f'd ek johnston's novel because i wouldn't necessarily expect dave to re re reread the whole thing like maybe he read it in 2016 when it came out maybe he didn't but if he was like, oh, like, let me like quickly like scan through this to make sure it's what I remember it was. Because Star Wars doesn't allow real world terms 
for character sexualities. Even if Dave was like, oh, let me check to see if there's a bisexual woman in this that I need yeah. to make sure I don't erase. Like, Star Wars doesn't allow characters to identify in real world terms, which sucks and makes it really difficult for fans to like find the representation they want to lead, read about. And like, I go into this way more with the Alden Diaz episode I did, but like that has caused huge problems in fandom. And it's the same thing with like the Cassian thing. Like, yeah. Diego Luna is Mexican Cassian Andor isn't. And like, it can then be hard to discuss the character's race, especially like, there are episodes of Andor that very directly deal with a Mexican American experience through the lens of Star Wars. And like it's difficult to like talk about though, because yeah. Cassian's not Mexican, but Diego is. And so like not having characters use actual real world terms for sexuality is very difficult for queer fans to then like one find characters that they would identify with that they want to read about you know if you're a gay person and you want to read about a gay character you might not be able to easily find out that Sinjirath Velis is a gay Star Wars character from the Aftermath books and you should read them so like it's tricky and it I think leads to mistakes like this happening I choose to want to believe it's a mistake I don't think Filoni would like maliciously erase this important character but like yeah it's easy to make that mistake because you can't search novels for if a character is queer or not yeah absolutely i'm i'm i also i'm with you there i i choose to interpret this as a mistake it's a bad mistake it's very harmful and yeah it's it's really tough for me too, because of how much I love the other five. Mm-hmm. Like the other five in contrast to this one, even Life and Death, which was the one up until yesterday that I was the most lukewarm about. I've had some better feelings about that one. And as we will talk, I'm sure uh, on, on our next episode, when we get to the Dooku ones, the Dooku shorts are phenomenal. Banger after banger with Dooku. The Sith Lord is... What the hell was that? The Sith Lord did not deserve to be that good, in my mind. And to have that contrasted with this incredible misstep for me is just so incredibly unfortunate. And I'm hoping that, of course, that people at Lucasfilm will take a more active listening role and listen to voices that have been historically quieted or silenced in this area. And of course, I'm not the guy to say this because I'm a straight white man, but, you know, and there are plenty of more qualified people than myself or Jacob to talk about this. Like I... To that point, like, there are definitely people who, there are voices closer to this than mine that, like, I think are even more important to listen to, like, specifically, like, queer women in the fandom and, like, how they feel about this character being erased and even more specifically, like, queer women of color in this fandom who had this really important character erased, like, that's gotta suck. And, like, if 
like I really love Taka from Last Shot. And as a non-binary person, if there was ever a Last Shot adaptation and Taka was removed from it, I would be really upset. Yeah. Like I can imagine how much that would suck if they ever adapted the Aftermath books. Like Sinjir means a ton to me. He's the first gay man I've ever seen in Star Wars. And that character is like extremely close to my heart. If yeah. they ever adapted that and they made him straight, or they just removed him altogether and replaced him with a different imperial defector who was a heterosexual, like I would be devastated. So like, this isn't a matter of them just like changing like plot details around. Like that happens all the time with adaptations. It's very specifically that they erased a character who is really important in terms of representation and that we still haven't had on-screen representation in Star Wars yet. Absolutely. And, this is and like, I, I talked before about how important Ahsoka is to queer fans. The fact that, like, queer phobia keeps getting associated with Ahsoka is really gross and upsetting. We do not need to get into the Rosario of it all. There are lots of different feelings and opinions on that casting choice. I'm not saying anyone is right or wrong for feeling how they feel about Rosario playing Ahsoka. I will say there are a lot of legitimate concerns from queer fans about Rosario playing Ahsoka, specifically trans fans with Rosario playing Ahsoka. And it sucks. It hurts. It like, I think Rosario is an incredibly talented actor. I also think that, she's doesn't like queer people very much uh that's rough like that that doesn't feel good having that happen after bill burr having that happen after carano yeah and then having this happen it's just like man i really wish that like star wars could stop like kicking queer fans while we're down and either removing representation on screen or casting people who have very outspokenly done or said awful stuff about queer people. It'd be nice if Star Wars stopped doing that, please. So, yeah. like, if this was a really isolated incident, I don't think it would matter as much. If this was an incident that happened and we had a bunch of black, bisexual women and lesbians running around, then, like, it wouldn't matter if we missed one. Like, yeah. if there were already a bunch of queer women of color in Star Wars, them dropping Caden out of this short really wouldn't be that big a deal. Yeah. But and, there aren't, and like that sucks. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's the other thing is like the corporate line at Disney is never going to let Lucasfilm like comment on this stuff, and I think it'd be like way easier to deal with if Dave just came out and said like, "Oh yeah, like I didn't read the book, and like my bad, like sorry, yeah. like that's on me. I got egg on my face. I'll do better next time." Yeah, but like. Disney's never going to let him say that. If Lucasfilm could say, like, yeah, Gina Carano did and said a bunch of transphobic stuff, so, like, we didn't renew her contract. Like, yeah. sorry, we shouldn't have hired yeah. a bigot. Like, yeah, instead of, like, having us find out, like, third hand. That'd be great, but instead we just got, like, a third hand interview where they just talked about the anti-Semitism stuff and they didn't even address the transphobia. So it's yeah. like, oh, well, that like, I'm glad that the anti-Semitism was 
the line, but also it would have been great if you also condemned the transphobic stuff too, which you didn't mention at all. So like, yeah, it, it doesn't feel great. And like, I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars a lot. I wouldn't be on your podcast if I didn't love Star Wars. I wouldn't have my own Star Wars podcast if I didn't love Star Wars. But like, it's, it's a lot of stuff that as a queer fan, it could be like a bit of a bummer sometimes. And it'd be nice if this thing that I really loved also felt like it loved me back a little bit. And like, there are Star Wars creators out there who are constantly like pulling up chairs to the table and be like, no, there's room for you here. Like there's room for you in a galaxy far, far away. Like have a seat, like the aftermath books and the Afro comic and all of E.K. Johnston's books have like very intentionally like had queer characters in it who are great. And I love that. Like, I love sister. I love the, the non-binary handmaiden. I love Caden, but the bigger stuff, the stuff that makes it on screen keeps not having queer characters in it. Or it's like a nudge, nudge, like in the background or like, oh, we'll talk about it in innuendo, but we won't show it. Or, like, we'll have this really homophobic hut. But, like, that's it. And it's like, cool, that sucks. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it... I, yeah. It's, it's, it's really troubling, and I'm, and and we're constantly hoping that Lucasfilm will do better on this front. Uh, And, of course, it's not a, it's, it's not a goal there's no like oh you do x y and z and you get it right no it's it's a constant thing but yeah no we 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 gotta push for better we gotta we gotta push for better for to see to make sure that everybody regardless of what color skin you have who you love whatever it is feels they're getting their voice heard in star wars and that's a very important tenet of this show and of I of I really hope I think we've done a decent job of this. All the shows we've we've aligned ourselves with is the idea that Star Wars is and should be for everyone. And yeah, I just want to you know I I didn't I didn't think this was going to be an easy conversation, and I wasn't expecting this to be an easy conversation. And but I but I think it's an important one. But and I think it's one to have. And I think it's important and, you know, not to get too overly philosophical about this before we wrap up here, but in addition to the episode I did with Alden a few weeks ago, like very much you've seen me very recently establishing some ground rules about who I am as a fan and who I will tolerate as a fan and who I won't and who I will tolerate as a, as a podcaster and who I will tolerate in this space. And Jacob and I have had a lot of conversations about this and I've had a lot of conversations with, with people in the space about this and yeah, but yeah, thanks for, thanks so much for your insight about that, Andy. I, I, this, it's, it was one of the reasons I thought it was so important to have you on because I've heard your insight and I knew it was important to have someone from a queer background talking about this. I, I really appreciate you guys like giving me the space to come on and like, 
talk about this issue in Star Wars. I will say, if you ever want to have me back for like a funner time, oh, absolutely, one hundred percent. No, this kind of turned this kind of turned into a little bit of a, a very serious downer episode. But yeah, absolutely. Don't worry about it. First of all, I, I, I will say a couple things. First of all, absolutely, I want to have you on for other stuff. And second of all, to not to like completely abruptly subject change, change, but there is also like we do also have the interview questions, which are very much more fun more let's talk about the positive stuff about star wars real um, quick can i just yeah. say one more thing and i know we've absolutely. been going for forever and absolutely i'm so sorry that having me guest on any podcast is like the longest episode of all time just to like my queer siblings out there never count on corporations giving you representation they will always disappoint you because corporations care about the dollar and the bottom line and controversy too much. And like, like it or not, we're still seen as controversial and like it or not, we're still seen as like a risk to put in media. So like the representation you want and the art you want is not being made by corporations. It's being made by other queer people. So like go find queer creators and support them and like, find their art because it's going to speak to you way more than a corporation ever can. And like, there are tons of queer people telling interesting, creative, beautiful, tragic, moving stories with their art that isn't going to be put out by someone like Disney. So like go out there and find those voices. And there are tons of independent queer creators doing and making art that I love. And it's out there. But like you have to look a little harder because it's not being supported by, you know, freaking Netflix or whatever. Yeah. So or Disney or whoever, HBO, whatever. So yeah. like go out there, find that art, find those stories. They're out there. Support those small indie creators making cool shit. And yeah, like support absolutely. my cool shit. I'm making cool <laughs> art. Go go watch it. Go listen to it. It's good stuff. I promise. We have a segment at the end. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> But so, uh, speaking of our interview questions, we have a series of 10 interview questions that we ask to every new guest the first time they're on the show. Jacob, I'll do the odds. Actually, we have it on our sheet. So, yeah. Andy, first, very basic. Who's your favorite Star Wars character? And why? Uh, if we're talking like on screen, it is Captain Callus. I don't call him Agent Callus because he's a rebel now and he's a good guy. If we're talking books, it is Sinjir Rathvelis. Shout out, both shout great out characters I, I i i wanna i haven't read aftermath but i want to get more into it especially because of the what of how incredibly i've like again i am personally straight but the character that has made me closest to questioning that is this guy right here yeah Cobb Daddy Cobb. <laughs> my god Love, love everything that Timothy Oliphant does in The Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett with him. Love that guy so much. Um, you, you want Embo? It's got Embo. You want Cobb Vanth? It's got Cobb Vanth. You want yeah, gay ex-imperial torturers? It's got gay ex-imperial torturers. You want yeah. a badass lesbian killing people with her horns? It's got a badass lesbian killing people with her horns. The Aftermath books are great. You want yeah. Wedge? It's got Wedge. Like, what's not to love? Yeah, absolutely. I also actually, I just realized the other reason I want to is because of because I want to figure out to learn a bit more backstory on Kiza after Shadow of the Sith, which is my all time favorite Star Wars book. 
But yeah, no, that those are both great characters. Jay, go ahead. Second question. What is your personal ranking of the Star Wars movies? Or if you don't have a ranking ready in your head, top three, top five. Okay. Something about Star Wars movies. So I will say that this changes pretty regularly. Understand. But number one is The Last Jedi. Number two is A New Hope. Number three is Return of the Jedi. Number four is Rogue One. And that's my husband's favorite. So like it's a special place in my heart because like when I watch it, even without him, I'm like, oh, this is Evan's favorite. After that, maybe Solo. I really like Solo. After that, probably Phantom Menace. After that, Empire. After Empire, Force Awakens. After Force Awakens, probably the Revenge of the Sith. After that, probably the Clone Wars animated movie, which counts because it had a theatrical release. And people leave it off their list when they shouldn't. After that, Attack of the Clones. Then probably Rise of Skywalker. I think I hit all of them. I don't think I left anything out. All right, no, that's that's a, it, it's fascinating to hear rankings. Always love the TLJ appreciation. Um, mm-hmm. Nods aggressively. Anyway, what is your favorite non-movie Star Wars media that you think people are missing out on? I think I might know this one, but let's see. So Rebels is my favorite Star Wars. I love Rebels so much. Thank you. However, you Jacob, said you missing... You said missing out on, and I think yeah. the one thing that people are missing out on right now is the Revenge of the Sith novelization. Oh. People forget about it. Like people don't remember it. People don't read it anymore. And like that book goes so freaking hard. It does. Get it on Audible. Listen to it. You will thank me. Uh, go read that book. And if you want to make it a little trilogy, read Labyrinth of Evil right before it and read Kenobi right after it. It is like an amazing look at like grief and trauma. And it's so good. Like Kenobi, yeah. The Legends Kenobi novel is just spectacular. Go read Revenge of the Sith and then watch the Kenobi show. Like it'll blow you away. Yeah. It's a really, really good book. I, I remember I read very recently on, I forget where it was. I remember I read the pro. I feel like it was on an episode of here we did recently. Of uh, I read just the prologue to the friend of the novelization. I think it was friend of the show, uh, mutual friend of ours, Alden Diaz, who described Matt Stover as writing every sentence of Revenge of the Sith novelization as being the last sentence of Star Wars he would ever write. Mm-hmm. And it is so incredibly true. And it's, a, it's an energy scene to writing a Star Wars book that I haven't seen with the exception of one Star Wars novel. Surprise, surprise, everybody. What Star Wars novel do I think is, is that is every sentence just like a, a, is a magnificent sentence. It's Shadow of the Sith. <laughs> it's it. Shadow of the Sith. Adam Christopher taps into the Matt Stover craziness in, and basically writes episode six and a half. Um, I, I'm a an ex-theater kid. I'm a voracious reader now. I do not use this term lightly. The Revenge of the Sith novelization is Shakespearean. And oh, yeah. it not only is it one of my, not only is it my favorite Star Wars book, it is one of my favorite books of all time. And I read a lot. 
it's it holds up on repeat reads it's it, if you read one star wars book in your life it should be that one. Oh, absolutely yeah 100 I, I i've i've yeah Rend of the sith novelization is fantastic all right jacob go ahead all right who is your favorite background character in star wars favorite glup shido so I think people use Glup Shido wrong from how the meme is originally intended. A lot of people list their Blorbos when they're talking about Glup Shidos. A Blorbo is like a weird minor character who you really love, but is like known. So like a, a Blorbo has a name and has speaking lines, you know, like Zeb is not a Glup Shido. Zeb is a Blorbo. So a true Glup Shido that I really love Ooh. And it's fine if you like cuz cuz I maybe maybe Max Rebo, like I really love Max Rebo. He does get named now, like a character says his name in Book of Boba Fett, so like yeah. He's slightly less of a glup shido now because he had a he had a name mentioned, but at the very least he doesn't have any speaking lines. So I think he still counts as a glup shido. Yeah, no, I I, I was going to say, because I, like, have a few of them. And, like, for example, if any of you followed me on Twitter yesterday, listening to the show, yesterday, I po- at the time of this episode, I posted about how lo- much I loved Liam, as in the shades. No reason, just he got the shades. But, yeah, no, there's all, there's constant debate about, like, oh, what what's a glup, you know, what's a... This is actually, I think, the first time I heard Blorbo as uh, being used. So I guess OG of Festoon would be my Blorbo because he's had speaking lines. Yeah, I in... would say that OG of Festoon is a Blorbo. His name is said on camera. <laughs> yeah. And it... he he has a book about him and he's in yeah, a he comic. A... So yeah. like Dash Rendar is my Blorbo. No one in the right mind who was born after like 19... 95 knows who dash rendar is but like he was the star of a video game and a novel and a comic book and like his ship is seen in a new hope so like i don't think he's a club shitto but if you give me an hour i will tell you why i love dash rendar with my entire heart so like i can scream about how much i love this obscure character but he's not a club shitto because he has dialogue and he has like a spoken name yeah, absolutely. Okay, my fifth question. What, in your opinion, is the coolest Star Wars species? If by coolest, the one I want to most have sex with, Autolins. <laughs> you know, honestly, like, not gonna lie, I wouldn't have said, said sex with a Nautilin, but then I, the, I'm just getting off of, there is a minor character in Survivor who's a Nautilin mm-hmm. named Cage. She is for sure a lesbian, but if she is bisexual, I think you got a shot. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was gonna like, yeah, that's that's true. I, I'm not going to tell you what happens to Cage or anything. She, she's but... got big top energy. What is your favorite Star Wars planet? Oh, I love Tatooine, and I know that people are like, why do we have to go back to Tatooine? And I'm like, that's Ugh. where Star Wars is from. Like, that's Star Wars' hometown. Like, Star Wars should always return to Tatooine if the story like allows for it because that is like 
that's where that's where Star Wars lives. Like the like yeah. what are you what do you mean? Why are we going back to Tatooine? So like I'm always happy to see Tatooine and stuff, but Naboo is probably my favorite. Fair enough. Naboo is pretty cool. If you were in the Star Wars universe, what would you want your job to be? I would want to be a professional podcaster. I want to be <laughs> I want to be the Joe Rogan of Star Wars without being like a terrible trash human. But like, I would love to have a, a, a podcast in Star Wars and just like, like Ezra's parents were basically podcasters, right? Like they had like a radio show or something. They had a radio so, show. They were... Yeah. Give, give me, I, I'd also love to be like the Ember Island players of Star Wars. Like, like I'd love to be an actor in a play about the franchise, but like have everything kind of wrong and backwards. I think that'd be really fun. Now, 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 rarely do I get to play this clip, but because we got to talk about Mira and Ephraim, now we got to do this. Buffalo Wild Wings has deals on deals on deals. Like buy one, get one half off Wing Tuesdays. Buy one, get one free boneless Thursdays. And $3 Tall House beers every day. With all these deals, it's a win-win. Only at Buffalo Wild Wings. Was it worth it? Do you think anybody heard? I have a feeling they did. That's very good. Buffalo Wild Wings has deals on deals on deals. Okay, so we all know the quote. I'm sure you know this quote. One of my favorite quotes from behind the scenes of Star Wars. You know, it's like poetry. It rhymes. It, you know, each stanza like sort of rhymes less. Hopefully it'll work. What's your favorite example of that in Star Wars? Can be it from anything. Oh, the it's like poetry, it rhymes. Yeah. Oof. That's that's an interesting question. Goodness. So I I think it's probably something from like Solo, like maybe the Beckett Han moment being poetry and rhyming with the scene in A New Hope. I'm like Beckett's biggest stan. I like I cosplay the guy. I'm a huge fan of like pirates and pirate stories and the fact that he's based on Long John Silver, like it hits for me so hard. So like I irrationally love solo probably more than I should. Like I recognize that it's a very flawed story in certain ways, but uh, that ending gets me every single time. So interesting. Yeah. Jacob. Sorry. If you could take one item or force power from star Wars into the real world, what would it be? So, like, being kind of, like, gender fluidity and queer, the procedure they use to, like, completely alter Obi-Wan's face and voice would be kind of handy. Because, you like, it seems painful, but you're basically mystique. Like, you can just, like, look and sound different. So, like, as someone who kind of, like, has, like very specific like feelings about like gender and my appearance and stuff that'd be pretty freaking handy so that yeah give me that please that is that is i think maybe one of the most interesting answers i've heard to that question and now i'm just wondering are you prepared to swallow that robot <laughs> like i can swallow anything but people are like oh, there's no trans people in Star Like, bigots are like, there's no trans people in Star Wars. And I'm like, Obi-Wan 
got like a Jedi surgery to like look and sound like a completely different dude to the point that like Anakin did not recognize him. You mean to tell me that trans people aren't using that in Star Wars? Like, come on. No, absolutely not. Yeah, of Of course course they are. Yeah. Like that is gender affirming care, my good bitch. Like, <laughs> like that, that's, that's Actually, what that is. Speaking of people becoming other people in Star Wars and becoming like they are, we have an ongoing bit on this show with our friends from other interviews, of course, about the pronunciation of a bounty hunter. And I'm just going to show you the picture. Just tell me how you pronounce it. Okay. This character? That is Zam Wessel. Okay, yeah. So we are now like countless to so the the history behind this is there is no canon pronunciation to this character's name. But it's Wessel. You're right, it's Wessel. Most people, I would say over 90% of the people we've had on this show have said Wessel, and they're right. There are a very small subsection of people who say Wazel, which doesn't make a whole ton of sense to us, except for the fact that in Bounty Hunter. Leanna Walsman, who plays Zam in Attack of the Clones, says, hi, I'm Zam Wazell, which confuses us all. And then to complicate it further, Wikipedia says, it doesn't have a canon pronunciation. And then for Legend, it says, either is fine. And then I'm like, what do you mean, either is fine? Maybe it's a hard versus hand situation, you know? Yeah, I know. Yeah, but but so we've we've had this tradition and everybody from you to like, you, you know, we've had Alex and Molly Damon on this show. They've said Wessel because, of course, they have almost everyone has said Wessel. So I think we've we've more than proven it to DeVore now that it, that it is Wessel over our now three year history. We've proven it is <laughs> Wessel. But before we wrap this up, thanks for coming on to this very lengthy episode. Andy, where can we find you? Where can we find your stuff you do online? Sure. So my Twitter and Instagram are both at a one hat town. I tweet a lot about Star Wars and X-Men and queer stuff. And my Instagram is full of, you know, cosplay stuff. Uh, I have a actual play podcast called Good Neighbors. If you like modern fantasy and like modern horror stuff it's a game using the phenomenal system called monster of the week which is a a game inspired by shows like buffy and x-files and supernatural our show is about a like found family of monster hunters overcoming trauma and trying to protect their community and i'm really proud of it my star wars podcast is called force runs rewatch we talk about star wars television shows and then my other podcast is called Ending Pending. We talk about TV shows which were canceled after only a single season. And we try and crime scene investigate our way into like what worked, what didn't work, and why it got canceled. That's, that is fantastic. No, absolutely check out Andy on all that stuff. And I think that's going to be it for this week of Star Wars in a Galaxy. Next week, as previously mentioned, we're going to be covering the Dooku Shorts, Justice Choices, and Sith Lord if I'm not mistaken, of, of those three names. And until until then, you can follow us at an Galaxy Pod on Twitter, at Star Wars and Galaxy on Instagram. You can listen to us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we'll be there. If we're not, or if you have any questions or trivia or hot takes or anything, email us, swinagalaxy at gmail.com. You can follow my personal account on Twitter, at OGFan327. 
Uh, and stay tuned also for our spinoff show, Epic Confrontations at New Galaxy Trivia on Twitter and on our YouTube channel. Our next match, Jerry the Cannon Junkie from the Bombadcast versus Chris Ryans from Braxium will be coming out soon. We've had some trouble getting a recording date, but we'll figure it out. I know we will. We have all our questions written. I'm so excited to film that. I want blood. I want I want in there. I I really want Scotty, but if Scotty's too scared to face me, you know, throw another challenger my way. I'll gobble him up as an appetizer. But Scotty Scotty is the is the steak and lobster that I want to eat. But you know, give I, me some I, mozzarella sticks to hold me off. I will I will absolutely I will I, I we have some crazy plans for EC coming about that I want to talk with you about off camera and but Absolutely. I want as many people to get into EC as possible. But in the meantime, I think if there's nothing else, may the force be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely.